Hey, sounds incredible. Wasn't that a good song to end on? Yeah, a lot of enthusiasm in the crowd this morning, too. I can sense that. That's wonderful. Um, uh, have you, uh, anybody in this room ever offended anyone else? All right. Uh, good. Me either. I have never offended anyone. I've managed to avoid it my entire life. No, I've got to tell you a story, and the story requires just a teeny tiny bit of setup. Um, so this may be beyond some of you, maybe too old for some of you, but how, most of you remember the low-carb diet craze, and that was called Atkins, right? Atkins. So the word Atkins plays into this story, and, I, and, and so let me set, set up. Somehow I managed to be offensive with the word Atkins, but... So uh, I was asked to preach at this church event. There, it was a weekend thing. I was going to speak, you know, two, three, four times. And uh, at these weekend things, like, you know, retreats, whatever, there's meals, and you sit down, and it's kind of a fellowship meal, but you do this two or three different times. So uh, I get my food, and I'm sitting down with a group of people, and I'm not real familiar with anybody. Like, there's some people I know, but I'm not close buddies, you know. For, for what I ended up saying, I'm not close enough to anybody to have said that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting at this table. This is during the Atkins diet craze. And I'm sitting at the table, and a lady comes to the table with a plate of pasta. Now, no sauce, no cheese, no nothing, just a big pile of pasta on the plate, which is not very Atkins diet. And the guy next to me, who I kind of know, and he says, oh, I see you're on the high-carb diet. Ha, 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 you know, joke, joke, joke. Pretty funny. And me, I'm sitting there thinking, don't know these people well enough to say this, but my brain's already in gear. I've already gone too far, and it's all bypassing kind of the usual checks and balances. I didn't send it off to Congress to make sure it could get approval. I just said it. It was an executive order kind of statement. And, uh, and I didn't think, will this hurt this person's feelings? Will this make me look like a jerk? Do I know this person well enough? None of this. All I said, because this thought came into my brain, and it was so good, I had to say it immediately. I said, oh, she's on the Fatkins diet. Yeah, I said that. I said that. I didn't think it, right? That's one of those inside thoughts. Like, like most of you, you'd think it, and you'd say, you know what, Patrick? Judging this situation, judging the social setting you're in, let's just not say that thought. And most of you would have gone on with your lives and you would have been fine. And I said, no, 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 she's on the Fatkins diet. Get it, get it. And then immediately I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Because after I said it, the checks and balances kind of played in. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, boy. I don't know. Now I'm tripping over myself trying to apologize to this person that I just called fat for no apparent reason. Nothing in context. I didn't know them. And what's worse, like if you've ever done this, I have to get up and speak again. Like I have to get up and talk some more. And I've, uh, whatever I say, I mean, like, I, 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 there's nothing I can say that gives me the moral, like, authority to speak into this person's life. Because I've just called him fat for no reason. Out of the blue. No, nothing. Have you ever been so offended that you're offended at yourself? <laughs> you're sitting there by yourself And not even you are on your side. You are having an out-of-body experience, like just shaking your head at yourself, like, what is wrong with you? Why did you do that? Of course, the table is silent because the joke landed like a ton of bricks. And then I'm like, I am so sorry. I deeply apologize. My, I, I don't know why. I mean, I've abandoned myself at this moment. I have nothing to say. I have no defense. But, you know, it was gone. The moment was gone. And I'm sure now when that lady thinks of me, she thinks of that stupid, stupid joke 
I feel like writing her a letter right now of apology. I'm feeling so guilty about it. Have you ever done something and you just lay in bed at night and you're like, why did I do that? Um, we're in part four of our series called The Wonder of Jesus, and you're probably wondering how am I going to talk about Jesus after that? What are we going to talk about? But we, what we're trying to do is we're trying to, to explain what the experience of being around Jesus might have been like. What would it have been like? And uh, a few weeks ago, we started off talking about what it would have been like to experience his teaching. And people were amazed at his teaching. And that, that's a good place to start. Like, just the things he said. Most people in the world, they love his teaching. You can go to the next slide if you want for me. We, we, they love what Jesus said. So much of what Jesus said. But we kind of pointed out that there's some things that Jesus said that were, were a little different, a little challenging. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. The, the thing we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago was the miracles of Jesus. Like, that's the thing you hear about the walking on water, the feeding the 5,000, all that stuff. These miraculous things that Jesus did. And people would have been in awe of that. That would have been amazing to see, to, to check out. And we talked about how it was a challenge for, for people because Jesus would claim to be uh, the Son of God. And he would do a miracle and people would have a tough time. I'm trying to negotiate those waters because they didn't want to accept one, but they wanted to accept the other. Last week, Jordan talked about what it would have been like to experience Jesus as a servant. You people thought he was coming as a king, and then he washed feet and died on a cross. I mean, that would have been impressive. But the thing that, that I think probably would have gotten us all uh, at some point or another, and I've thought about this quite a bit because I kind of wondered, like, what would my reactions to Jesus be? But I think the thing that would have gotten us all about Jesus at some point or another would have been his offensiveness. It would have been his offensiveness. Now, some of you were like, what are you talking about? I love Jesus. I love everything he said. I love everything I did. I guarantee you that if you met with Jesus or if Jesus were standing up here today, he would say something that challenged your long-held dear beliefs about the world, about the way you thought things were, because he's, he's, he's growing us. And to grow us, he's showing us things that we don't yet know or things that we have wrong. And I think Jesus would have been, you would have found Jesus offensive. I think you would have found Jesus offensive. Now, to be fair, it's not particularly difficult to offend people. I don't know if you've run into that because it's not that hard, really. In fact, I think we live in a culture that is on the lookout to be offended by things, right? We have our radars, radars up to be offended. Oh, that thing offends me. Everybody, let's get offended at that thing or that person. I mean, people's lives have been ruined because they made a dumb joke online and they lost their job or they lost all their friends. They lost so much. Just, they did something that was just irresponsible. I'm glad that nobody was filming my stupid Fatkins joke. And then when I tried to apply for a job here, they sent it to the search committee and said, oh, this is, are you sure you want this guy? I'm glad that kind of stuff didn't happen. But we're on the lookout to be offended. That, that was offensive, but we're on the lookout to be offended by things. Um, and, and frankly, Facebook is the worst. I know I talk about Facebook a lot, but seriously, we get, I'm so mad about this thing. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm definitely mad, and I'm going to share it with about a thousand of my closest friends. Share! You know, and then somebody like me comes along and is like, ah, that's fake news. Well, I don't care. If, I still am offended. I'm offended that somebody made this fake story up. I was asking uh, a few people to share what gets them really worked up about life and just stuff in general. Just anything. It could be anything. And so I got back a lot, of, uh, a lot of feedback, and here's just a little bit of a selection. So here's some things that get people really worked up. Loud chewing. Right? Loud chewing. Some of you are like, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, but it bothers your spouse. 
that's the thing. Like, it doesn't bother me, but Karina's always, like, every time I eat chips, she's, she's got to go to a different room. I don't know what the problem is. Um, how about this one? People who walk or drive distractedly. Now, driving, right, that's illegal. But walking distractedly, right, when you're at the Mall of America and you know where you want to get, you know what you want to buy, but there's this group of tourists spread out across the aisle in front of you, all just moseying along, just looking at their phones, looking at the stuff around you, and you just, you wished humans came equipped with car horns, right? So you could just like pass it on the left, you know, here I come. How about uh, typos and presentations? Does that bother you? Does that really get under your skin a little bit? Some of you, some of you in the room are like, oh, just uh, move that, move that slide. Uh, how about people who leave uh, shopping carts in parking lots? Drives me nuts. So irresponsible. Come on, put your cart back. This, this society was built upon people who would put their cart back into the stall before they left. This one I thought was good. It, it was worth pointing out. When people get so mad about important things like discrimination that they start discriminating against the people who they accuse of being discriminatory. Right? Some of you are like, I'm still processing that, but I think I agree. That's a good one. That is good. And the other thing that I know people would get offended by is Jesus. People would get offended by Jesus. I know, I know they would. One person actually sent me a list of 80 things, and they said, I'm just getting started. So if you guys are on the lookout for something new to be offended by, I've got a list of 80 things that I can share with, with you if you're working to get up, worked up. People would be offended by Jesus because Jesus was offensive. It was offensive. Um, and you're thinking, well, what are you talking about? Bring the little children unto me. I love everybody. How is this Jesus, Jesus offensive? Well, Jesus was the sayer of such nice comforting phrases as, you are of your father, the devil. That's a nice one. Nobody's Instagramming that. How about this one? You snakes, you brood of vipers. Nobody's crocheting that on a pillow. That's Jesus talking to people. He wasn't talking to snakes or a pit of vipers. He was talking to people. He was calling people that. Or how about this, Matthew 10, 34, don't think that I came to bring peace. Wait, hold on a second. The Christmas songs, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I mean, that, what are you talking about? You didn't come to bring peace. Jesus has an explanation for that. And there's a lot more that I could say uh, that, that he, was, he was offensive. We don't furiously underline those passages in our Bibles. Maybe the only one we think about very often is when somebody cuts us off in traffic and we, you snakes, you brood of vipers, who taught you how to drive? <laughs> Jesus was offensive. So I want to explore this idea, and I re- realize that for some of you it may feel like, like, why spend time thinking about this? But I want to explore this idea because I think that there's an important principle that is to be gleaned from the idea of Jesus being offensive that we need to understand. Because we like to look and focus at the nice parts of Jesus, but we do not like to look at the challenging parts of Jesus. Or rather, we like to look at the challenging parts of Jesus and think they're for somebody else. But believe it or not, Jesus has some offensive things to say about us. So put on your, like, you know, your defenses or whatever you need because you might get offended by Jesus today. We're going to look at Luke chapter 11, verse 37. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. It's a story in the Bible, again, one of those stories you may be a little familiar with, but we're going to try to walk through it and just try to, as much as possible, give ourselves the experience of what it would have been like to experience this moment with Jesus. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. When Jesus finished speaking, he was outside, outside this town. When he finished speaking, a big crowd of people, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and he reclined at the table. Now, 
that verse doesn't say anything, but there's something missing from that verse that is going to become very important later. Something that Luke did not write down that is going to become very important in just a second. Uh, Verse 38. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. So what Jesus should have done, Pharisee, hey, will you come in, eat a meal with me? we got some great food. It's going to be awesome. Jesus should have said, sure, that sounds great. Gone in, washed his hands, and then reclined at the table. But he didn't do that, and Luke points that out. Now, this is really important. The Pharisee's surprised that he didn't do this. Now, this is not just basic hygiene. Now, I know we all should wash our hands, right? But this is not mom saying, go wash your hands, and then mom saying, did you use water? And then mom saying, did you use soap? I mean, that's what moms have to do because little boys, for whatever reason, don't like to wash their hands. At least certain little boys like myself and my son, when we were little, we did not like to wash our hands. Jesus didn't forget to wash his hands. This is not, he wasn't like, oh, whoops, I forgot. I've been shaking hands all day. I got to get these, these hands washed. He didn't forget. This was very deliberate. He didn't forget because everybody else in the crowd, everybody else in the room would have done this, this exact thing. This is not basic hygiene. He didn't forget. It's a social norm, or rather, probably more accurately, a religious norm. It's kind of like, have you ever put your hand out for someone to shake, and then they kind of look at you in the eye, and they don't shake it? And you're like, oh, this is fun. What are we going to do now? Now, sometimes people are like, sorry, I, I, I got a cold or I got a cough or I just, you know, I just touched something gross and it's on my hand. I got to go wash it. You know, they explain that because they explain the reason that they're not engaging in the social nicety, right? Well, I remember distinctly one time, sometimes at church, you're just greeting people right and left, shaking hands right and left. And I don't know exactly why, but I put my hand out to shake this lady's hand and she looked at me in the eye and she said, no, thank you. No, thank you. Like, no, thank you. I'm not offering you a piece of gum or a breath mint. Like, you can't just say no, thank you. We're now in uncharted social waters. Like, what do I do now? Like, I guess I shake my own hand. Good morning, Patrick. Uh, How are you doing? Things are great. I mean, you can't just say no, thank you. Like, what what do you do? So this washing was was this religious norm. It was the equivalent of somebody sticking out their hand and somebody else not shaking it when Jesus decided not to do this. It was a religious, it was a religious norm. Uh, and there are chapters written about how exactly you do this. So what I want to do, uh, just to give us a good um, idea of this, actually, you can go to the next slide if you want, but I got a couple of volunteers. I got a couple of my uh, youth group, youth intern. They're going to help us out demonstrating this. So Jacob and Ben, come on up. These are our, these are our fine young men here at the church. All right, Ben, uh, you are going to be the one having your hands washed. Jacob, you are going to be doing the washing. Now, this is typically the way they did it. There was a servant who washed the hands. It wasn't, you didn't wash them yourself, okay? So, Jacob, you've got the pitcher of water. Here you go. And, Ben, you're going to have your hands washed. I'm just going to let you guys go and see what you do. I, I'm not exactly sure. So let's see how this goes. All right, do whatever you're going to do. All right, I'm going to have to stop you right there. You're doing it wrong. Um, so just, I know, I know, I didn't give them rules, but I'm just, I, I, this is, you're doing it wrong. So you can't, according to the rules, you can't, oh, you're also doing it wrong. My, hang on. You can't pour water on this hand and then on this hand. So one hand at a time. Okay, go ahead. All right, now I'm going to have to stop you again. So I, I get that, but your hands need to be this way, because if they're not this way, then this part does get clean. Okay. So go ahead. Very, okay, I'm going to have to stop you again. All right, now this is, I'm not making any of these things up. These are all things that you can read about and find. You, you actually have to start up here on the wrist. 
Because what if there's junk up there and, you know, okay. Very good. That's good. Okay, very good. Good job. All right. All right. That's just one hand. Oh, I'm, I'm going to have to stop right there. You can't shake your hands off. Okay? Just, I'm not making these rules up. All right, go ahead. Oh, much better. All right, you're getting it. Very good. Actually, oh, I'm going to have to stop you right there. Uh, you've used too much water now. You can only use, uh, as you can see on the screen, <laughs> a fine print. This is like the iTunes legal agreement up here. You can only use a quarter of a log of water, and we all know what a log of water is, right? Uh, actually, a quarter of a log of water was about 100 milliliters, so you've, you've used way too much water. So we're going to have to start over from the beginning. So less, less water. This was true. You couldn't just like, oh, whoops, I'll do it better next time. You had to start over. All right, less water. Let's go. Okay, I'm going to have to stop you right there. So because you had to redo it, you can't actually start um, be- ahead of where you poured before. You have to start below because if you start ahead, you're going to wash some impurities down on the hand. Okay. That's pretty good. Not bad. Not bad. All right. Very good. All right. Very, you did a good job. What, what are you going to do now, Ben? He doesn't know. I don't know. What do I do? What are the rules? Uh, it's just air dry? No, I, you could probably air dry, but you can actually use a towel. I got a towel over here. Do you want it? Technically, the servant should have brought the towel, but what well, is not a very good servant. Okay, here you go. All right, will you give him the towel? Um, sure, you can. Not on the ground, though. You can't put it on the ground. It's important water. You got to put it on, on a surface. Okay, very good. Yeah. All right, what else are we going to do? Oh, you guys are doing good. Very good. Very good. Drying the hands off. That's very good. Oh, by the way, there are rules for who can pour the water. Fortunately, they def- a minor. You're a minor, right? You can pour the water. Someone who's deaf can pour the water. They actually literally specify that. So we're, we're good here. Uh, we didn't, we may have messed up. The Bible doesn't specify you can use plastic. It just doesn't really address the issue, so we're kind of in uncharted territory. So, I don't know. We'll see. We're playing it edgy. All right. Very good. Very good. You're doing a good job. All right. Excellent. Now, Ben, you did a couple things really good there that you probably didn't realize. I'm not saying you're bad at this, Jacob. Like, you're looking, <laughs> you're looking offended. But one thing you could not do is once your hands were wet, you could not rub them together. That was, that was considered wrong. If you happen to be, if you drop something in the water, it depends on what that thing was or where it had been before, whether or not you could drop it in the water and take it back out. Because if you drop something in the water and it was not supposed to be in the water, you had to take the water out, dump it, and start all over again. So, I mean, this was, this was quite, a, quite a process. Now, there's a couple things. You guys can just stay there just for a second. But let me go over a couple things uh, with you. You couldn't pour the water out of the side of the pitcher. I mean, I know it's got the little spout, but you couldn't pour it out the side. Why? I have no clue. It's just in the rules. It's in the rules. Read the rules. Come on. Um, You had uh, guidelines for what to do. What if you didn't have a servant there to pour the water for you? What would you do then? Well, you can. can, If it's in a barrel, you can tip the barrel over with one hand. Or if it's not something like that, you can actually balance the pitcher between your knees and pour it. So if you're you're really in a pinch. Now, these are all specified. I put about a, a little teeny tiny bit of one of the first chapters. There's five chapters of rules about how to wash your hands ceremonially before a meal. 
And you can imagine every time somebody did it wrong and you had to start over, you can imagine like this was a big deal. Now, some of you are thinking, well, this is all specified in the old law, the Old Testament. If you read the Bible in the old, one of those Onomy or Iticus books, right? It's probably back there somewhere. Nope. Actually, nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to wash your hands before a meal, which is kind of odd. But there were the, the priests, before they went into the temple and handled the bread, they had to wash their hands, so it's a good idea. And just in case, you might accidentally have impure hands. So, for example, like if Jacob was just walking along and he, saw, he was waving hi to somebody and reached his hand inside somebody's house and they happened to be sick, but he didn't know they were sick, he waved his hand inside somebody's house, that hand is impure. Now, he doesn't know that hand's impure, so every time he goes to eat, he needs to wash that hand and both hands because he doesn't know. So every single time you ate, you had to go through this process. All right, good job, guys. Excellent work. Excellent hand washing. Ben, you did particularly well. Jacob, you could use some improvement, but we'll, get on, we'll work on that. You can imagine. You just imagine how, like, I mean, to us, that seems crazy. That seems wild. But that, and that is life. That's everyday life in the first century Judaism. That's everyday life. You can read about that if you want to read about that in the Mishnah. It's got all these extra rules, and everybody uh, kept these rules. So, in verse 38, when it says, the Pharisee was surprised. The Pharisee wasn't just surprised. Jesus was defying thousands of years of religious convention in that one moment. The Pharisee wasn't just surprised. In fact, this word surprised is the exact same word used in the Bible when people describe Jesus' teaching, when people witnessed Jesus calm the storm, when they said that was incredible, they were in awe. It was the same word. He was, he was like jaw-droppingly offended at Jesus. And the Bible really tones it down. It's like, oh, that's a little surprising. No, he was upset and he was going to run back and tell all his Pharisee friends, you would not believe what Jesus did. He ate without washing his hands. Everybody would get all in a huff and they would say, now we need to kill him because he ate without washing his hands. That's how serious it was. All that cultural, religious, social subtext is being brought to bear on this single moment. There's a lot more in that than you thought, isn't there? That's pretty wild. It's pretty wild, but wait, it gets so much better. So the servant comes around with the water, the basin, the water, and he's washing everybody's hands, the other guests, maybe even the other apostles, the other Pharisees in the room, and he gets to Jesus, and Jesus says, no thank you. You don't just say no thank you, Jesus. Like, what, how, what do you mean no thank you? This is what you have to do. This is what the teachers and the scribes and the experts and the elders and the rabbis have said you have to do. You don't just get to say no thank you. The Pharisee was surprised. The Pharisee was offended. Verse 39. Jesus knows this. So the Lord said to him. Now, I don't know if Luke's doing this on purpose, but I think he's acknowledging that Jesus is God. He's the holiest being in the universe. And here is this Pharisee offended at Jesus for not acting in a holy way. I mean, how ironic is that, right? The Lord said to him, now then you Pharisees. Uh Uh-oh, that's never a good, like, now then go bunch a bunch a bunch of people together now then you pharisees you clean the outside of the cup and the dish but inside you're full of greed and wickedness now we read that and we're like oh that's you know that's kind of unpleasant but imagine that actually in a scenario that's pretty much the equivalent of sitting at a table with some other people you barely know and calling them fat that is you pharisees you're so concerned with the outside do you imagine jesus had a little tone in his voice you imagine he had angry eyebrows that we tell our kids, hey, what, what's the angry eyebrows? 
you Pharisees, you're so concerned about the outside of the cup. Like, inside, you're inside. The Pharisee that invited Jesus into his house. Inside, you're full of greed and wickedness. Oh, now the Pharisee's like, wait a second here. You're under my roof. I invited you in for lunch today. You're eating my food. That's, this is my house. This is my table. And you're going you're gonna to talk that way to me? Jesus hasn't even actually begun to start. Um, and, and you can imagine. Like, look, look at verse 40. You foolish people. That's kind of a bad word back in the day. We don't like to think Jesus said bad words, but Jesus said some bad words. Some of you parents are going to have to go tell your kids later, Jesus didn't say bad words. <laughs> this wasn't a nice thing to say. In fact, Jesus said, if you say fool, you're in danger of hellfire. Did you know that? And here's Jesus saying it. It's a little weird. Hmm, head scratcher. You foolish people. You think that God is somehow impressed by the fact that you're keeping rules that you made up? You think God's up there saying, good job making up rules and keeping them and thinking you're better than everybody else. Excellent work. God doesn't care about that. I'm glad we don't do anything like that, right? That's good. Well, this is awkward. There's no small talk. The food hasn't even been served. And Jesus hasn't even really gotten wound up. And I imagine now Jesus went from reclining. They reclined on the ground at the table. And I imagine you can't really rant and rave from a reclining position. I don't know if you've ever tried. You really have to get up and walk around. And Jesus is about to rant and rave. Now, the Bible doesn't say he's ranting and raving. But I just don't know how you read this text and read anything else in there. Um, This is what he says in verse 42. Woe to you Pharisees. Now, woe is an interesting word. It's kind of like a, um, it's just a word you say, but it, it has meaning. But nothing good ever came after the word woe. Jesus never said, whoa, you guys are doing a good job. Keep up the good work. No. It was always bad news for whoever was, was receiving the woes. Woe to you Pharisees. You give God a tenth of your mint and your rue and all your garden herbs. You care about these little tiny little details, but you neglect justice. You neglect the love of God. You have forgotten about the things that matter. And these things are okay, but they're not nearly as important as these other things. Matthew earlier describes them as the weightier matters of the law. Whew. Now, this is interesting because he, gets, he, he really gets roll, rolling. And he says, whoa, three more times. And he calls them names. And whew, it, you can imagine, like, if you've ever been in a social situation where something's happening that shouldn't be happening in a social situation, maybe you were invited over for dinner to somebody's house and the husband and wife got in a little spat and you're sitting there like, how do I get out of here? This is awkward. This is, must have been what it felt like to, to be a guest in this situation where Jesus is just, you Pharisees, you care about these things, and you're, you're neglecting the important things. You don't care about God. You care about yourself. You're self-serving. You're greedy. You can imagine. I mean, Jesus, I think, was pointing, right? You just getting after people. Do you see Jesus saying this, like, in a real calm? You Pharisees, you're bad people. No, I think Jesus is up, and he's ranting and raving. And I think it's awkward. I think it's offensive. Because this is the guy that has invited him into his home for lunch. This is my favorite part of the passage. Luke eleven forty five. One of the experts of the law. This is so much fun. One of the experts of the law. Listen to what he says. This is so funny. Now, the experts of the law were the guys that wrote all those chapters about how exactly you wash your hands. So they were a little upset because they were getting a little bit of the blowback from Jesus yelling at the Pharisees. They were like feeling, you know how when your teacher gets mad at somebody in class, but they don't really focus on that person. They get mad at everybody in class. You know that feeling? You're like, I didn't do anything wrong. 
Teacher of the law, verse 45. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you hurt our feelings too. You have a little tear rolling down his cheek? I don't know. You insult us also. Now the other experts in the law were thinking, You dummy. Like, what are you doing? Don't draw attention to us. Like, let the Pharisees have it. We don't need any of that. Because up to now, all the raving had been directed at the Pharisees. And Jesus is like, oh yeah, thanks for reminding me you're in the room. You guys. And he starts going, woe to you. You do all these ridiculous things. You, he says, you make up all these rules. You bind all these heavy burdens that they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift a finger to help them. Whew. That's pretty wild, isn't it? That, now, this is Jesus. Meek and mild. Blonde-haired, blue eyes. Laying in the daisies, playing with the children, right? Man, that is the wrong idea of Jesus. Um, there are seven verses of woes. It felt like he went on for hours, I'm sure. Two hours later. <laughs> when is this going to get over? Verse 52, he says this. You experts of the law. It's just a few verses. Probably wasn't two hours. Woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge. This thing that you say you care about, you've taken away the key. You've hidden it. Nobody else can enter into knowing more about God, and you guys don't know anything about it either. Man, that's crazy. Look at what he does in, in, in uh, verse 33. He says, he, he says all this. He's like, woe to you. You're terrible. You're greedy. You're rotten. And then he goes outside. That's it. Like, that's the end of his little spiel about them being terrible. He doesn't say, but you know what? There is hope. All you have to do as we stand and sing the third stanza of Just As I Am, you can get your heart right with God. Nope. Woe to you. I'm out. And he goes outside. He goes outside. There's this crowd that is, that is still there, gathered. And I think it's interesting to think about, like, maybe Jesus was so loud, people started coming, like, what's going on? Jesus is letting the Pharisees have it. you got to come listen to this. The experts of the law, man, they're not getting away with anything. Whew. First of all, two things. It's, it's just kind of like a Jesus walks outside. It's like a mic drop moment, Right? You don't let anybody know about Jesus. You don't know, let anybody know about God. And, and the people that you don't know about God, nobody knows about God. Mic drop, I'm out. Like, that's it. That's kind of the situation. First of all, number one, this is not a point, but just something I want to point out about this passage. Isn't Jesus more fascinating when we see him in 3D? Isn't he more fascinating? Like, this Jesus is a little bit scary. And that's probably a good thing on occasion. Secondly, what just happened? What just happened? These are the guys that have dedicated themselves to keeping the law, to honoring God, and Jesus is letting them have it. What just happened? Luke eleven fifty three says, they began to oppose him fiercely. Now, we are tempted to read ourselves out of the story. Yeah, Pharisees. Pharisees are bad. Glad they're all done and gone. We don't have Pharisees today. We're not Pharisees. Nobody in our churches are Pharisees. We're tempted to read ourselves out of the story, but this is why chapter breaks aren't very helpful because the story is not over. It doesn't end at the end of the chapter. Read Luke 12, 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another. I mean, this is intense. They're all, what's going on? Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. And that's an important word because that's the type of people that we want to be. We want to be followers of Jesus. So Jesus has something to say about what just transpired in that, in that kitchen, in that dining room. Jesus said to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is an old school way of be on your guard against the contagion of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
This desire to present yourself as something that you're not so people won't think badly of you or will people think better of you. Be on your guard against that. Man, I am so glad that we in 2017 don't ha- struggle with that. I'm glad that we are all honest and open and confessing and, and we're just, just our authentic selves before God and one another. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Nobody said amen. That's sad. Be on your guard. I want you to think about something. I don't know if you've thought about this, um, because I hear about the Pharisees all the time. Growing up, heard about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the bad guys in the story. Jesus is the good guy. Disciples are the good guy. Apostles are the good guy. Pharisees are the bad guy. And uh, did you know, you ever think about this? Jesus loved the Pharisees. All that stuff that we just read, woe to you, you greedy, you swindlers, you scoundrels. Jesus loved the Pharisees. That's right. That's right. Here's the thing, though. He loved them, and he knew that they had some deep, dark stuff in their lives, and they had built a protective shell of self-righteousness around it. He loved them. And the type of love that they needed wasn't a pat on the back. They were already patting themselves on the back. It wasn't an attaboy. You're doing your best because they weren't. The type of love that they needed was the type of love that would reduce their self-righteous pride to rubble. That's the type of love that these Pharisees needed. When I, uh, when I was a kid, I, um, I remember the first time I learned how to ride my bike without holding onto the handlebars. That's a big moment when you're a kid. That's a big moment because it takes a lot to work up to that moment. You've got to learn how to ride a bike and not just immediately fall over. You gotta, I mean, back in the day, we did not use protective equipment. There were no helmets. There were no knee pads. There was none of that. I don't know if our parents were conspiring against us or we just had to figure that stuff out. But it was a big moment. You would take your hands off the wheel and then wheel, you'd grab it again. Eventually, you got to the point where you could like go you know, a couple, 10 feet, 15, 20. For, pretty soon, you were riding without... Your, hand, your hands on the handlebars. And I remember, I remember this thought distinctly. I remember being near our house, and I was probably, you know, nine, eight or nine years old, and I remember taking my hands off the handlebars, and I remember thinking, you know what? I am the coolest person in the world right now. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not like, I'm not trying to exaggerate for effect. I'm pretty much the coolest person in the world, because there is nothing cooler than riding without holding on to handlebars. I mean, that, that just, that's a tough attitude. I don't have to touch the handlebars. I'm cool. I, I thought people would look at me as I rode down the street and be, there's one cool kid. He's doing great things with his life. Watch for him. He's going to be famous. Maybe president someday. Watch for him. I, I mean, you know, when you're eight or nine, you know, the thoughts. Maybe, maybe not everybody has such grandiose illusions <laughs> that I did, but I thought that kind of stuff. And I remember riding down the street one time, and I saw this crowd of people in a front yard, and they were having a party or something like that, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to blow these people's minds. They're going to see this cool kid riding by, and it's going to be awesome, and they're going to be like, whoa, look at that guy. He doesn't, he's not holding on to the handlebars. And they're going, to, they're going to tap each other on the shoulder and be like, hey, look at that kid riding. Wow. Somebody's going to get out a camera and video it. It's going to go viral. That's what I thought. So I'm riding down this street, and I thought, I'm going to really play this cool. I'm going to take my hands off the handlebars, I'm not even going to look ahead of me. I'm going to look off to the side casually. Maybe run my hands through my hair. This is all going to unfold in slow motion. I'm so cool. Well, I I was pretty cool. Um, And then I ran into the back of a parked car. A car that was parked in front of the house with the crowd. 
And the car was a VW Bug, which for some reason makes it more humiliating. I don't know why. There's just no good way to run into a VW Bug. And so there I am going along. I'm cool, hands through the air, hit the back of the car, slow motion, go sprawling up onto the car. There, the crowd, of course, is like watching this kid. I don't know if they noticed me at all, but believe me, they noticed when I hit the car. <laughs> Sprawl, though. Are you okay? I'm probably crying, you know, skin knees. I'm all right. I'm still cool. I, God has, I, I shouldn't confess this, but I think God has done that for me a lot in my life. It's not always a VW bug, but when I start thinking like, yeah, you got this figured out, Patrick, God comes along and pops my balloon because he loves me, because he cares about me. God will sometimes let you hit a VW bug in front of a crowded house because he loves you and because he's got to tear down that self-righteousness and it hurts. He's got to tear down that pride and it hurts. We get pretty defensive. You know what the Pharisees did after this? Because they were so defensive, they're like, all right, now it's time. We've got to kill him. We've got to take him out. That's how mad people get when, when our pride and self-righteousness are threatened. It makes us homicidal. It's offensive when someone calls our garbage out, our darkness out. It's offensive when it's revealed that we're operating out of pride. It's offensive when, shows us, when someone shows us that we're being self-righteous. But listen, this is so important that you know, and this is my only point today, Jesus loves us so much that he is willing to confront us with the ugly truth about ourselves. I, I know we want to walk away like, oh, you're doing great, everything's wonderful. And some of you maybe struggle with feeling guilty or you struggle with shame or you struggle with sorrow and it's not like a positive message to feel like Jesus is actually going to, to tear down your pride and self-righteousness. But I guarantee you when he does, when he reduces you to nothing and then he builds you back up, that is so much better than that house of cards that you had built up. It's so much better. It's so much more satisfying. One author talking about uh, Jesus' offensiveness wrote this. He said, Trying to change people's actions will be futile unless one speaks to the underlying traits and attitudes that lead to that immorality. Uh, and it's a lot to say that if you don't address the fundamentals, you're never going to get anywhere. And he goes on to say, Hence, for Jesus... Moral teaching requires that self-righteousness, any of that, complacency, arrogance, and selfishness must be unlearned before morality can take root. So let me offer this today as we close. Let me offer you um, uh, something that I think is important. Because otherwise, if we don't get this, then when, when God comes to us with an offer of grace, we're just going to say, no thanks, I'm good. I've built up some self-righteousness here, so I'm all set. And we're not going to take what we need. So let me offer you a prayer that I think may be challenging and even offensive for some of us, but that I think that we need to pray to make sure that God is building us up. And it's this. It's this prayer. God, offend me. God, offend me when my pride and self-righteousness get in the way of following you. Offend me, God. Thank you, guys.